I have very uh, vivid, happy memories of celebrating Christmas as a kid. Um, I remember making Christmas lists for my parents that were way too long. I mean, I don't know what I thought they did for a living, but there is no way that they were buying everything that I had on my list. Um, I had no concept of money. Um, I remember anxiously going to bed, struggling to sleep that night. Uh, my my uh, brother and I waking up at an obscenely early time. I mean, I don't know how early, but it was definitely dark outside. And, uh, and then waiting to hear my parents, who were sort of getting everything ready uh, in the living room, to call out, like, okay, you can come in. And then we would uh, excitedly run into the living room where we would be instantly blinded by the studio-grade lights that my dad had erected in the four corners of the room that were, I mean, it was like we were having Christmas on a TV set. And, um, you know, giant video camera on a tripod. And um, our house never looked like that. It was like, where are we? And um, tearing into the presents, occasionally coming up for air. You know, I'd like yell across the room at my brother, Sean, I got a Wolverine. And he'd be like, Ryan, I got some GAC. And do y'all remember GAC? I remember the first year there was GAC. That was like a life-changing experience. Um, now, I grew up uh, for the most part in Texas, but uh, my mom's family's from New England, so there would be some Christmases where we would spend uh, the holidays there with family in, in Massachusetts, which was so fun as a little kid because it's like, you know, the snow and the sledding and the exotic uh, New England accents, dialects of my family that I rarely got to hear. So we'd go there and celebrate, and I'd hear a lot about, you know, Santa Claus and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Hark the Herald Angels Sing and all that. And uh, so it was, a, it was a lot of fun. I remember one Christmas in Boston, got my first pair of rollerblades and an MC Hammer, too legit to quit tape. It was <laughs> so great memories. Um, now, you know, throughout all those years, my parents, they were teaching me about the real meaning of Christmas, uh, about Christ, and I, and I believed in that, but uh, when I was a little kid, I mean, let's be honest, it was still mainly about me getting presents. I mean, that was mainly the thing in my mind, but I do recall when I kind of had the first notion that, the first real notion that it wasn't mainly about me getting presents, uh, because I noticed my parents were not getting many presents, and the presents they were getting were super boring, and um, I, I remember asking, like, you know, I don't know how old I was, maybe eight or nine, you know, you don't get that many presents. And, and they would say, well, you know, we just, it's just really um, makes us happy to watch you open your gifts. And I remember thinking like, we got a, well, this is a great deal because you like giving them and I really want them. So let's just keep on going with this. Um, but that whole notion of like, it just makes us happy to watch you open your gifts, just like did not, you know, register for me as a seven-year-old or eight-year-old. Um, but it was something though that I did kind of file away. I mean, I remember thinking, okay, there, there is something more to this than me just getting presents. I wasn't old enough to sort of appreciate it yet, but I, I knew it was there. Um, now, I think in our spiritual lives, generally, we kind of run a similar risk of kind of mainly thinking about ourselves and mainly thinking about our circumstances right now. Kind of like we're, you know, living our life trapped in kind of like this 
little snow globe um, where mainly we're thinking about our concerns, ourselves, our families, our circumstances right now. And they all kind of swirl around us. Not a whole lot breaks through into that. And I think a good example of that reality is our prayer lives. Um, and I'm speaking from experience here, too. You know, our prayer lives are you know, mainly about ourselves, mainly about our families, solving the problems that we're experiencing right now. Um, and there's nothing wrong with praying to the Lord about those things. In fact, he invites us to. Uh, but it shouldn't be all that we're concerned about and thinking about. Um, because if you believe what Scripture teaches about God, he is sovereign over history, he is all-knowing, he is eternal, he sees all of time at once, which means he sees our lives and our prayers very differently than we do. Uh, He sees them intricately connected to everything else going on now and in the future. There's this wonderful passage in Romans 8 where uh, Paul is talking about prayer, and he says when we pray, the Holy Spirit sort of conforms our prayers to God's will. It's kind of like God hears our heart, and he's like, I think I know what you would pray if you know everything I know, so I'm going to make that your prayer. And, um, it, and so it, it, what it's telling us is that God's purposes for our spiritual lives, for our prayers, are far beyond what we think about. Uh, we don't even know what they all are. Do you ever think about that? That God might have purposes in answering your prayers that have nothing to do with you and that may not even ever occur to you? Um, purposes kind of outside the snow globe of our current lives. I mean, think about this for a moment. The prayers you pray for whatever struggle you're going through um, might be answered in a way that helps you and also leads to something important in somebody else's life five years from now, but that doesn't occur to you when you're praying that prayer, but this is what God sees in his sovereignty. Parents, your prayers for your kids, for their health, for their future, um, God might answer those prayers but for reasons that, that you don't know about. I mean, it, he might answer prayers related to the health of your children because there is a conversation he wants your child to have with somebody in 60 years. Do we think in these terms? Um, God may have answered a prayer that you've prayed about a job, um, and, and in part he's answering it for your provision, but it could also be that you have a, a, a future coworker who's going to need your encouragement. And he's moving all those pieces around. Um, it may also be that he's positioning you financially to care for an ailing parent 30 years from now. Have you thought about that? Students, I see you. Uh, you know, a lot of you are thinking about kind of what's your future look like? Maybe you're starting to think about the kind of job you might want to have after high school, or maybe you're thinking about going to college. Um, have you thought about the fact that in, in the Lord hearing your prayers about your future, um, he may answer them for you and, and what you're looking for in your life and to help you, but there may be other things going on. There may be classmates that you're going to have or future coworkers you're going to have, and he might be answering your prayers about your job, not only to meet your needs, but to position you to meet other people's needs. I think we all need to begin to think this way. This is the way God views our lives. Our answers to our prayers, are, are, are God's answers are far more beautiful and mysterious than we could imagine. Why are we talking about this at the beginning of our Christmas series? It's because the Christmas story in Scripture begins with a story of answered prayer, but the answer to the prayer went far beyond what the people were praying for. 
when they asked God to intervene in their life. He did something in answering their prayers that would have never occurred to them. And I think it's an amazing example for us as we think about our own relationship with the Lord. So turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke 1. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with the layout of Scripture, the Gospel of Luke is the third book in the New Testament. Luke 1. Um, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't own one, uh, feel free to grab one of those on the table. And actually, you can take it home. We'd love for that to be our gift to you. Uh, though we will put the scripture on the screen as well. Um, in Luke 1, starting in verse 5, that's where we're going to start, we kind of get a little bit of the backstory of Christmas. It's like a prelude, a prologue to the Christmas story. And um, so we'll start in verse 5. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So Zechariah is a priest, um, and and Elizabeth, uh, when it says that she's a descendant of Aaron, that means she's from a priestly line. And uh, they clearly loved the Lord. They honored him with their lives. And I think we can safely assume they've been praying for many years to have a child. Um, You know, in that culture, that was something very important. It was important for the same reasons it is for us. People just want to have children because they would like to, and it's a joyful thing. But in that culture in particular, having children meant a certain social and economic stability uh, that was really important because most people were just living in poverty back then. And so um, it was a it was a big deal to not be able to have children. And uh, it says they're unable to, and now they're elderly. And so I think we can probably assume as well they had stopped praying for a while to have children, um, not because they didn't trust the Lord, but just people didn't have children at that age. And so they probably had assumed God had answered them that that they just aren't uh, meant to have children. Um, Let's keep reading verse 8. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Uh, So Zechariah was a priest at the temple in Jerusalem. There were 18,000 priests. It's a lot. And so the way they worked it out, they, they needed lots of priests on hand at any given moment. Um, it was this massive temple in Jerusalem. And so they worked it out where each priest worked two weeks a year. They, they had a rotation. So they probably had other jobs, but they were sort of like in the reserve. So like two weeks a year, they would go serve at the temple. So during one of these occasions, it's Zechariah's turn. Um, he gets chosen to go in and burn incense inside the temple. Now, they literally rolled the dice. It says they cast lots. Um, they literally rolled the dice to see which of the priests got to do it. It was a huge honor to actually walk into the temple structure itself and do this. And so Zechariah, it falls to him. This is like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So he's going to go inside the temple, and he's going to burn incense. It's part of the worship service. And um, he's going to go inside the temple by himself, and he's going to discover inside that their prayers were answered. Uh, but that God had bigger purposes for their prayers than they ever imagined. Um, So Zechariah goes into the temple by himself, only time he's ever done this in his whole life. 
Let's keep reading. Verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. Now that, I think, is the part of answering the prayer they'd prayed. You're going to have a son. It's going to be a joyful thing. But look how it goes on. And many will rejoice because of his birth. You catch that? That's the first clue that God had purposes for this child beyond what they would have thought about because many people are going to rejoice because of his birth. Verse 15, for he, John, will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other ferment to drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to their Lord, their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So God did answer their prayers about a child, but his purpose for their son was far more significant than they would have ever dreamed. Their son would be, anybody know? John the Baptist, right. Um, and, And he would go on. His role, John's role, would be a forerunner to Jesus. He would sort of let people know Jesus is about to arrive. So there's this very important role that he was going to play. But I want to focus on the last couple of verses we looked at there. If you're taking notes, I have a couple of things for you to highlight and circle. Um, so the, John's calling, it says, is that he would turn the hearts. Highlight that phrase. Turn the hearts. Of who? Circle these two words. Parents and children. Turn the hearts of parents to their children. This is a generational statement. It's speaking generationally about the future. But then also he would turn the hearts of uh, another group, circle this here, disobedient and righteous. So the hearts of the disobedient would be turned to the wisdom of the righteous. That's, That's an evangelistic statement. It's people who don't know the Lord will come to know him. And, and so John's overarching mission is kind of summarized in that last phrase. I would highlight this, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord, both in his own time and in the future. Uh, that's what the turning of parents to children is about, is future generations. So John would go to be this herald announcing the arrival of God in the flesh, pointing to Jesus Christ specifically as the Savior of the world. Now, I think it's a safe bet that uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth never thought of that outcome of their prayers for a child. Um, they were probably thinking, you know, kind of within their own sort of snow globe of experiences of just wishing to have a child, the stability it would provide, the economic certainty it would provide. But God sort of smashed that view of their circumstances in the way he answered this prayer. Check out Zechariah's response to the angel, verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Come on, Zechariah, take yes for an answer. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, uh, I, I, seriously, I think what that statement shows is how unlikely it was that they would have children at that age. He's like, what? Like, how is that even possible? Um, and so the angel responds, verse 19, the angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent 
to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Now, this is, of course, the same Gabriel who would go on to visit Mary soon after this uh, with a somewhat important message, too. Uh, But John's ministry would initiate this time when people who don't know God would turn their hearts to him in a new way because of Christ. Parents would not just think about themselves and their current situation. They would begin to think about their children's future and the future of generations beyond that. And John's ministry of being a forerunner for Christ had been predicted for centuries. 400 years before John's life, the prophet Malachi, God spoke through Malachi. Look what he said. He was speaking about the time when the Messiah would arrive. He said, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come says the Lord Almighty. So this idea of of a messenger preparing the way had been predicted for centuries. So John's birth was not just an answer to the personal prayers of Zechariah and Elizabeth. It was the fulfillment of prophecy. John was that messenger who was going to prepare people for the Lord's arrival to make sure they do not miss Jesus. If you skip down a little bit further in chapter 1 of Luke, Zechariah, um, he sings this song, this beautiful song, Uh, worshiping the Lord for what he's doing uh, in his family now and answering this prayer. And I want to read just a few verses. Look what he says. Zechariah said, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of, of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. This was John's mission to make people ready, to give knowledge of salvation, to show people the path toward peace to do this in his own day, but also to prepare future generations to do this as well, to point people to Christ. Now, John was the first to receive the call to specifically point to Jesus as the arriving Messiah, but John was not the last with this call. I mean, that is the call on our lives as individuals, as followers of Christ, and it's the call on our collective life as a church family. I mean, we as Real Hope are called to radiate the message of Jesus out into our world right now, in such a way that it echoes down into future generations. We are called as a church to follow Christ in such a way that it affects what our community looks like and what real hope looks like in 2050, 2060, 2070, in in, in, the distant future. We are called to think outside of that snow globe of our own time and circumstances and try to view the world the way God does. So to kind of summarize the call that was on John's life, and really by extension, is on our lives, uh, I would say it this way. The call is this, to turn our hearts outward and forward. Outward to the world around us now and forward into the future, into future generations. Now, this passage in Luke um, has been on our minds uh, for months, not only uh, to prepare for Christmas, celebrating Christmas and this Christmas series, uh, but more generally about kind of where we are as a church 
and what we feel God is, is calling us to. Because here's the thing. The Christmas story is not just relevant at Christmas. It's not just relevant in December. Jesus coming to earth, God in the flesh, to rescue us. This is the very heart of what we believe. And so as we begin this series, uh, as we step into this month of celebration, uh, we wanted to take some time to personally reflect on some of the deeper meanings of Christmas, but also to reflect as a church family on, on what this means for us, how we should be doing this as a church. Um, and so in order to kind of reflect on this as a church family, uh, we want to let you in on some of the kind of leadership discussions we've been having over the last several months among our pastoral staff, with our elders, uh, with some of you who play key volunteer leadership roles, because we feel God is leading us into something very exciting in 2020, uh, and we want to uh, tell you about it. So I'm going to invite Jenny to come up here and join me, and uh, we're going to talk about what it looks like for us as a church to turn our hearts outward and forward uh, in new ways. Yeah, so um, like Ryan said, uh, we're going to kind of talk about and I guess maybe give sort of a, a peek behind the curtain of some of these discussions that we've been having with our leadership team. And when we say leadership team, uh, what we mean by that is um, our mainly our staff and our elders. Not that that's yeah. the entire uh, group of leadership at Real Hope Community Church, but um, the ones that have really been wrestling with these questions. And so while we've been having these meetings, some of the conversations that we've been having are you know, answering questions like what kind of growth strategy do we want to have here at Real Hope? What is growth going to look like at Real Hope Community Church? Um, we've been talking about, you know, what does it look like to um, really share the gospel in a meaningful way, to do it in a way that's wide so that we're, you know, encompassing a lot of our community, um, but also in a way that's deep in that generational part that Ryan was talking about. How are we making sure that we're um, doing this in a way that's covering our community, but that's also investing in future generations? Um, how are we meeting physical needs of our community? Because there's some real deep physical needs that exist um, in our community. But then how are we making sure that we're addressing the spiritual needs too, right? Because both of those things have to go hand in hand together. And then how are we doing all of that while maintaining the financial integrity of um, the culture that we've developed here when it comes to, to giving that's been so ingrained in the culture of Real Hope Community Church. And as we kind of dove into those questions, there was one overarching question that was really driving that discussion. And the question is this, and Ryan hit on it just a, a little bit ago, is what are the decisions that we can be making now? What are the things that we can be building at a foundational level now that the leadership and the people that attend Real Hope Community Church in 2050, 2060, 2070 are going to be really thankful that we had these discussions? And so as we kind of thought through really all of those um, things and as we thought through what it looks like for our church to really embrace that mission that God, God has given us, which is to join Jesus and his mission to transform lives, there was really two things that kind of came to the forefront of that, those discussions. And these two things 
tie perfectly into what we just talked about um, in this Luke passage. Um, And those are these two things. It's outreach, both local and global outreach, and then investing in the next generation. Like right here, yes, in Real Hope Community Church, but throughout Fort Bend County as well. And so when I say those are the two things that kind of came to the front burner, we felt like as we were digging through some of those questions I talked about earlier, those were the two things that we really felt like the Lord was going to use in 2020 to answer some of those questions and to lay some of that foundation that leadership generations from now are going to be really happy that we focused on and that we answered. And so what I want to do for just a minute is I want to kind of just paint a picture for you of what that's going to look like, really thinking about um, those two things of outreach, evangelism, both locally, globally, as well as investing in the next gen. What kind of is that picture that we can, we can paint? What will that actually look like in 2020? Well, I want you to imagine with me for just a little bit of what those things are going to look like. So on the local outreach front, I want you to imagine with me um, what it looks like for us to link arms and come alongside organizations like Common Threads, which is an organization we've done a lot of work with. You guys have been, many of you in this room have been involved with in the past, but what would it look like for us to come alongside and link arms with what they're doing in our community and to say, hey, you know what? We want to be a church that is going to help you as an organization, like right now, this, this school year and next school year, with those 50 homeless seniors that are desperately trying to walk through the college application process and trying to change generational poverty for their family. We would love to be a part of food distribution throughout our community. We would love to be a part of, um, you know, uh, distributing school uniforms throughout our school district to kids that desperately need it and are dependent on your organization to do that. And through that, we would love to show the physical expression of the gospel and of Jesus Christ by meeting needs. But then also, what would it look like on the global outreach or on the local outreach front if we did things like streamlined local outreach with investing in the next generation and doing things with our two schools that we partner with, Travis Elementary School in Rosenberg and then Adolphus, where you're sitting right now, what would it look like if we partnered with those schools to host and put on events that were safe and affordable for families to come together and to connect as families but also to learn more about Real Hope Community Church and that there's a place in our community that loves them, that loves their family, and wants their family to be a part of it. And then on the global side of outreach, um, you know, we have some incredible global partnerships that we have been establishing over the last three years that Real Hope Community Church has existed. And in each one of those partnerships, each one of those organizations, there's some very specific projects that they're going to be working on this year that we have an incredible opportunity, that you have an incredible opportunity to be a part of. And so I think about like our partnership with Hope for Honduras and how Hope for Honduras is literally building a school. It's not like like figurative, like recruiting students to be a part of that. They have the students that want to be there. They need the school. And so every single year they're adding a grade, they're adding a classroom 
so that, again, they can give a bilingual resource to the next generation that will drastically change their family tree and generational poverty. And so how cool would it be for us to be able to help that school being built? They're also teaching the gospel at that school. Absolutely, yeah, Yeah. through their curriculum, exactly. You know, and then I think about our partnership with um, Joseph and his team. He's right over here on the screen. (laughs) Many of you met Joseph just a couple months ago because he came and visited our church. And, um, you know, I think about Joseph and his team and the projects that they're doing currently and will continue to do of providing flood relief to people that were just devastated by a flood that came through their community not too long ago. Going into communities, and one of the ways in which they are able to have a door open to go into the community to share the gospel is through um, social projects like water wells and sewing classes, um, giving women skills that they can go and then help their family. And then last, you know, I think about um, Nate and Bethany, who are uh, missionaries that we support, our church supports in Austria. And Nate and Bethany in 2020 are literally planting a church. I mean, they're having meetings right now with their launch team, which just kind of gives me that like feeling of like excitement and anxiety because I know what that was like. But they're doing that. And, you know, Austria is different from our other two partnerships. There's, there's a real spiritual need, but there's a lot of physical need in our other partnerships. Austria, you don't see the physical need so much, but man, it is one of the most secular parts of the world. And so they're going to go and they're going to plant a church and they're going to show people how Jesus Christ can love them. And so I think to myself, imagine what it would look like for us to be able to link arms in 2020 with these specific projects on a global front, but also on a local front. And then, you know, last I think about, you know, we talked about evangelism and and global and, and doing all of that and the call that John had on his life to turn hearts and prepare the way, which is the evangelism side, but then also specifically turning hearts of children to their parents. And so I wonder what it would look like for next year for us to invest in our next-gen ministry and our kids and our students. And what would it look like to create environments in which kids are, have so much fun and they're so excited to be there that they want to come back, but they want to bring their friends to come back as well. And while all of that is great and all the fun is great, but ultimately we're able to create environments in which kids can also meaningfully, meaningfully check, uh, connect with an adult that loves them, that cares about them through small groups, and is encouraging them to continue to follow Christ. And honestly, a generation in an environment where it's very hard for kids and students to follow Christ right now. And students... I think about what would it look like if we took this property that was on the back of the screen behind me. This is our property in Rosenberg. You may or may not even know that we own this. This is currently our offices, and we're in the final stages right now with the city to be able to get all the permitting we need to have events and to have gatherings there. But I think about what would that property look like if we were able to put in volleyball nets and a fire pit, couches, And have it be a place that we can create just for you guys so that you can come with your friends. You can connect. You can hang out there. And yes, you can wrestle with the big questions of faith. But ultimately, it's just a place that belongs to you. What could God do with that? And what would that look like for our church to be involved in that way, in that meaningful way through outreach on a local and a global front, but then also investing in our next gen? Yeah, and so, you know, those are several really cool things. I mean, it's, it's outreach locally of meeting needs. It's, it's outreach globally. 
It's uh, investing in our next-gen ministry. Um, there's one other thing that we have felt led to do as a church that we're gonna, we plan to launch in February, um, which is a second service on Sunday mornings here. Um, because it is, uh, it's, it's partly logistical. I mean, it's getting a little more full in here than it used to be, uh, which is awesome to see just the growth and what God's doing. Um, but it's not mainly about that. It's not mainly about let's make it a little more comfortable for us who are here. Um, it, it's a growth mechanism. We've been doing a lot of reading and research about this. You know, when is the right time to launch another service? Um, and uh, all of the research shows, and there's lots of churches and entities that, that do research into this, all the research shows that you will reach more people as a church with two services than one because it's just another option of a time for people to come. The other thing it will do is when we divide into two services on Sunday mornings, there will be more space in here, which will be a constant reminder and accountability mechanism for us to look and see empty seats and think, there are people in this community who don't, do not know Christ, who are suffering, um, you know, maybe through something difficult in their family, or they're just lonely or sad, or they have big questions about God, but they haven't felt like there's a place where they can go explore them. And we need to be thinking about these people and not forget them. And as a room gets fuller, sometimes it's easy for us to forget because it's like, well, why do we need to invite anybody? Look at all these people. Well, we do need to because there are tens of thousands of people. Hundreds of thousands. Hundreds of of thousands within a 10-minute drive from here who do not know Christ and are going through a variety of hard things. And so launching a second service will not only make it easier to reach them, but it will also keep us reminded and motivated about reaching out and finding and serving these people. Um, And so um, we're talking about, through all these things, we're talking about a lot of kind of deeper investments. We're talking about deeper, you know, all those ministry partners we talked about globally, we're already invested there financially, but we're talking about making more investments in this coming year. We're talking about making more investments in our next-gen ministry and even in our local partnerships as well. And then certainly to launch another service here, we're talking about buying new equipment, new signs, you know, maintaining old equipment, um, advertising, letting people know, and all that. And so that all costs money. And so um, we wanted to throw out something for you all to pray about. Yeah, so, you know, as we were again praying about what would it take to make this happen, um, I think the thing that you said just a minute ago in your message, Ryan, that was so impactful to me was the fact that, you know, this call of turning hearts and preparing the way for the Lord, that started with John, but it doesn't end with John. Yeah. Um, and the reality is, is that we started Real Hope Community Church with many of you sitting in this room, but we don't want Real Hope Community Church to end with (laughs) the people sitting in this room. We want it to go on for years and years to come. And so in order to make that investment, um, we wanted to make, um, a sacrificial ask of you guys in the sense of, we know that that is going to take all of us coming together and all of us um, making a sacrificial gift to, or in order to meet a goal that we have. And so we did the math, we put some pen to paper, and we felt like everything that we just mentioned earlier, that we would be able to do most of that start to finish, definitely kick all of it off. Um, if we set a goal of raising this month, the month of December, $35,000. And so we know that that is not a small number. That's going to be a stretch for us um, as a church. However, we also know that it's doable. 
Um, because the reality of it is, is that it takes sacrifice and it takes resources to continue the move and the spread of the gospel throughout of community. Um, but we know that that is a number that if we all come together as a church family, we definitely, not only personally do I believe we could hit, yeah. I, I think we could blow past it, yeah. really, and really see God do some amazing things yeah. here in 2020. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think part of it, too, is the timing of next year is that raising the money now in December allows us to hit the ground running in 2020, um, not only to begin, you know, building next-gen ministry and serving locally, but, you know, particularly with launching this uh, new service in February. Um, but, you know, this is what we feel it looks like to think outside of ourselves as a church, mm-hmm. is to think in these ways, to apply you know, what we're reading about in John the Baptist's life and what God was doing through him to our current circumstance. Um, and so just to kind of summarize what this Turning Hearts uh, initiative encompasses, it's local outreach, it's global outreach, it's next-gen ministry, and it's adding this second service. That's really the four things that we're hoping to, to really invest yeah. in um, to, to follow God's leading uh, into this next year. So let me just ask you, Directly, would you please join me uh, and prayerfully consider giving a one-time sacrificial financial gift toward this Turning Hearts effort? It will fund our next-gen ministry and our outreach efforts. Um, That's what this will all go to. Um, And and I do want to address you directly again, students. Um, This is your church, too. And uh, you are not an afterthought to us. You matter deeply to us. You are at the very heart of, of some of our deepest desires for our church. And so we want to build this ministry for you, but we also want to build it with you. And so um, we just want you to know that, that we care deeply about you, and, and we believe God wants to move powerfully in your lives. And so we're excited to, to build this with you. Um, let me just talk for a couple of minutes about the logistics of this. Uh, and then we'll come back. I want to end on a spiritual note of this amazing couple of verses in the Gospel of John. Uh, but just kind of the logistics of this. First, if you regularly give to Real Hope, I first of all want to say thank you. Uh, we, we could not do our ministry at all without your faithfulness in giving. Um, we have no outside support as a church. Everything we do as a church is from giving within uh, from our people. So first of all, I just want to say thank you. Um, this gift, we would just uh, say, is meant to be on top of whatever you're planning to give in December because we have our usual, you know, ministry expenses, um, you know, this month as we normally do. So this would be a gift on top of what you're already planning to give this month. Um, If you have not given to Real Hope uh, yet, this is a great opportunity to start, to jump in on this. This is a really meaningful thing uh, to give to. Um, If you're visiting today, you have to give twice as much. So, uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, please I just don't love f- how out of characteristic that uh, statement yeah. is for <laughs> you in any other setting. That's like. right. <laughs> uh, no, if you're visiting, please don't feel any pressure uh, to be a part of this. Actually, my hope for you if you're visiting is, is that you would feel like you have a sense of who we are as a church, that these are the things that we yeah. are prioritizing and, and feel are important uh, to the future of our ministry. Um, also, I, I asked you to pray about a sacrificial gift. A sacrificial gift looks different for everybody, uh, depending on your financial situation. Um, you know, we're accountable to God based on what he's entrusted us with. And so um, it, it looks different for everybody. There's not, you know, one 
amount or anything like that. But I do think a sacrificial gift is something that makes an actual impact in your financial life. Like, I might not be able to buy that thing I was planning to buy. I might not be able to go on that trip I was planning on going on. I might have to shift some things around. Um, and so that, that's what we mean by a sacrificial gift. My family's going to do this. We haven't decided on a number yet, but we're praying about it. I kind of have a number in mind, and, for, and, and it is a number that makes me go a little bit. Um, so, so we're going to do that. You know, our whole staff is going to. Uh, we would never ask of you something we're unwilling to do personally. Can I make a comment on that yes, real fast? Um, I think, you know, we obviously, like, I don't know that the word sacrifice is like a warm and fuzzy word, right? To a lot of people, like, no. it's not meant to be. Um, but what I love about this um, Turning Hearts initiative and what I love about the things it's focusing on is that it's building within our church a giving culture to which we're going to give to things that we are going to experience. Like if you're sitting here in this room right now, especially if you're in the next gen ministry, but um, even in, you know, going to two services and new signage and new this and that, of course, we're going to experience that. And that's great. And we should. But then also it's encouraging us as a church to give to outside Mm -hmm. organizations in which we're probably never going to have somebody from the ministry that Joseph's doing walk through the doors here in Fort Bend County Mm -hmm. at Real Hope Community Church. And so being able to make an investment here in your community and global, yes, that may feel sacrificial logistically, but man, how joyful is Mm -hmm. that as well? That we get to be a part of what God's doing around the globe and investing in that. Yeah. So here's how it's going to work. do the ushers already have the cards? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so we have some pledge cards that we're going to pass out. Do we have those? Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to pass these pledge. They look like this. Um, I think we've got a slide here with a picture of it. There you go. Uh, with these pledge cards. And um, it's just an opportunity for you to, to tell us what you plan to give um, uh, this month. Um, but in terms of the timeline, we, we, we are trying to raise this money. Uh, we need to raise it by the end of the month for a couple reasons. Uh, for you to get a tax deduction for this for 2019, but then also, uh, more importantly, um, that we want to hit the ground running in 2020. Uh, so if we're launching a new service and some new uh, significant next-gen initiatives early in, in February, uh, we, we would like to raise this as soon as we can. Um, so, you, so you can give in a couple of ways. Um, you, can, you can write a check, and in the memo line, just put turning hearts, and you can leave that in the fancy Christmas tin that's on your table. That's where, how we're going to receive this offering. And also your normal offering, if you have it in connection card, you can leave it in there as well. Um, you can also give on our website. There's a Turning Hearts um, drop-down box there um, where you can choose the fund. Um, we just say if you want to give to this, but you, you weren't planning to give today, uh, t- turn in the pledge card of what you think you'll give because that helps us just see kind of where we are and what we're planning to take in this month. Um, and so you can just leave that card in there uh, if you want. Of course, you can bring uh, a gift to any other worship service this month. You can give online. The, the, the instructions are actually all on the card. The main thing is just by the end of the month. Um, I, I do want to say one thing. Uh, we're not going to talk about this in this depth at all for the rest of this month. I don't want you thinking you're getting like a PBS telethon every Sunday this month. This is the one time that we're talking about it in this depth and calling you to this. Uh, we're going to spend the rest of the month just teaching through the Christmas story, unfolding the gospel, um, looking at some really neat kind of overlooked uh, insights into the Christmas story, 
Uh, one thing we are going to do as a follow-up to this is we'll send a video to you this week with just a condensed version of this, uh, mainly for people who aren't here today, uh, so that they can kind of be in the loop. And then in the ne- next weeks, we'll sort of celebrate with you, you know, how much has been pledged and all that. But we're not going to teach on it like this again. Uh, so we didn't want you to feel like, oh boy, I heard it once, I don't want to come back. We're not going to do this uh, more. We'll just kind of update you and celebrate what God's done. I believe that if we all pray and we give what God leads us to give, we will raise this money. Um, I think we could even go past the 35000 God has certainly entrusted to all of us enough resources for that to happen. Um, but let me just say again, thank you uh, to all of you who have given so much, given your time as well in serving. And, and, and more than that, on a deeper level, I want to thank you for being the type of church that you are. Um, you are a generous church. We are a God-honoring church, a compassionate church. And uh, I'm very thankful for that. So I just want to thank you uh, for all you do to make this place like that. Um, so I want to, like I said, just end on a note of Scripture. Um, in John 1, there's another angle to the Christmas story and another angle to John's part in that. And I just find it so inspiring. Um, and so I want to end on this note. Um, in, in John 1, starting in verse 6, it's talking about John the Baptist again. Um, this man of the, the mission to turn hearts. It says this, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, the light is Christ, so that through him all might believe. He, that's John, himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And then I love this. This is like the Christmas story in different words, starting here. It says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Jesus became a child to make a way for us to become children of God. That's the gospel. That's relevant in December. It's relevant all year. And I think in reading John 1 about John the Baptist, we could sort of read ourselves as real hope into the role that John played. There was a church established by God whose name was Real Hope. They came as a witness to testify concerning Jesus so that through him all might believe. Real hope was not the light. They came as a witness to that light. Just like I realized as a kid that uh, Christmas wasn't all about me and getting presents, let us make sure together as a church family that we recognize we have a mission to think about the people who are not yet here, who are in this community who are wondering about deep things, who are struggling, who are in pain, who are lonely, who are wondering about the purpose of their life, who wonder if there's a God. We must think of them. And we have a mission to think about people who are not even born yet, who might one day, by God's grace, end up at real hope and encounter Christ.